0: I will grant peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well greetings Grace Chapel, good to be with you all today across our campuses and venues and online. We're glad you could be with us. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving weekend. Karen and I celebrated by uh, going over the bridges and through the tolls to visit my parents in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We were kind of looking forward to six or seven hours to talk in the car and good news, we had ten hours in the car. Uh, So we talked about just about everything. But ended up having a great visit with my folks. They are in their 80s now. I filled them in on everything that's happening in our lives and here at Grace Chapel because uh, they tune in every week and they pray not just for us, they pray for you, for this entire church and its ministries as well. So I was grateful to catch up with them. So whatever your weekend was like, I hope you found things to be thankful for and people to be thankful with. But now we turn the corner and we're heading towards Christmas. Now, the church season of Advent doesn't officially begin until next Sunday. But since we find ourselves this Sunday, sandwiched between Black Friday and Cyber Monday, (laughs) neither of which sound very spiritual, we decided to redeem the weekend by starting our Christmas journey a week early. So that's what we'll be doing today. Now, the truth is we actually started planning our Christmas season many, many months ago all the way back in the summertime. As we looked ahead six months, we began considering what kind of themes we might focus on for the season, the traditional ones of love and joy and hope and faith. We landed on peace. Given all that was happening in our world at the time, it seemed as though that would likely be a relevant theme in December. We just had no idea how very relevant it would be. I mean, who knew how loud the saber-rattling would get? between the U.S. and North Korea as missiles were launched and aircraft carriers moved into place. Who knew that a white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia would reignite racial tension in our society? Who knew There would be mass shootings at a concert in Las Vegas and a church in Sutherland Springs. Who knew that terror would strike again in Lower Manhattan in the very shadow of the World Trade Center? Who knew that a slew of leading artists and politicians and journalists would be accused of sexual exploitation and indecency, putting new strain on the relationships between men and women in our society? Who knew that the worst hurricanes and fires in recent memory would leave hundreds of thousands of people distraught and displaced? Who knew how fractious our political climate could be even a year after a very contentious election season? If there's anything that the world needs more of this Christmas, it's peace. When the Bible speaks about peace, it's actually speaking about shalom, shalom. Not just the absence of war, but the presence of harmony, of tranquility. Shalom was about wholeness and wellness for all people in all ways and in all places. Shalom, God's gift of grace. Comprehensive flourishing, as one writer calls it. And given the state of our nation and our world, peace has got to be at the top of our Christmas list this season. And not just global peace, but the personal kind as well. And so that's what we'll be exploring in this Christmas season. We're gonna begin this Sunday with peace in the tumult, which I'll have to explain in a minute because we couldn't even agree how to pronounce it in our planning meeting, okay? (laughs) Pretty sure it's tumult. Then peace in the heartache, Peace in the questions, uh, peace in the unexpected, and then peace in the questions. That will be Monologue Sunday on December 17th. Peace in the darkness, that'll be the theme of our candlelight services happening on, on Christmas Eve Sunday. And then peace in the moments on New Year's Eve Sunday. Now I realize that looks like a pretty grinchy list of topics for a Christmas season. But each week, we'll be looking at a biblical character who actually found peace in those kinds of circumstances. And our hope, our expectation is that we will find peace as well. Each Sunday, as we gather, we'll be providing with a peace moment somewhere in the course of the service. A few minutes for us to sit and experience God's peaceful presence. And then each week, in the middle of the week, on Wednesday, we'll be offering you a devotional resource that you might use alone or at home or with others to again experience a moment of peace in the middle of the week. So let's begin today with a character whose name is familiar, but whose story is not quite so familiar. A character who found peace and brought peace in very tumultuous times. His name is Isaiah, and his story is found in the book that bears his name in the Old Testament. Let's begin with Isaiah's call, famously recorded in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. In the year that king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now we don't know a lot about Isaiah. It seems as though he was a high-born Jew A lifelong resident of the southern kingdom of Judah and even the city of Jerusalem perhaps seems as though he had access to the very highest circles of power. His career as a prophet began as a young man and it began right here as a young man coming to the temple to worship and receiving a vision. A vision that would change the course of his life and set in motion God's plan to save the world. The death of King Uzziah was to the people of that time, something like the attack on 9-11 was to the people of our time. A life-shaking, world-changing, never-to-be-forgotten event. After nearly 40 years, 50 years on the throne, Uzziah's death was such a dramatic and disruptive event that everyone remembered where they were when they first heard the news of his death. And it was in that year that Isaiah received his vision. Uzziah had been a good king, relatively speaking. He ruled over the southern kingdom from 790 to 740 BC. These are the days of the divided kingdom, with the ten tribes of Israel to the north in the land that was called Israel, and then tribe of Judah and tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the southern kingdom. Uzziah ruled over that southern kingdom and much of his reign was characterized by economic prosperity, by expanding their borders, by spiritual vitality, and by a general sense of peace. But in the final years of Uzziah's reign, things began to unravel. There was a growing disparity between the rich and the poor. stirred up dissension in the land. Corruption crept into the marketplace and then to the highest circles of government. The northern nation of Assyria began to flex its muscles, expanding westward, threatening the nearby nations of Arab and the northern kingdom of Israel and Judah itself. There was a growing sense of unease in the land. After the northern kingdom fell in 721, suddenly the Assyrian juggernaut was just eight miles north of the holy city of Jerusalem, bearing down on the nation. And voices began crying out for some kind of action. Some were calling for military buildup to stave off the Assyrians. Others were calling for political alliances with other nations against Assyria. And others yet still were calling for an appeasement strategy, paying tribute to Assyria to ensure peace. And in the, in the leadership vacuum following Uzziah's death, it got loud and ugly and confused very, very quickly. Like 9-11, the death of Uzziah marked the beginning of a troubled time, of a confusing time, of a tumultuous time. As I was stumbling around looking for a word that would describe the times in which we live, Here in this second decade of the 21st century, I thought of words like troubled, chaotic, frightening, divided, unpredictable. I'll confess that I'm kind of a word nerd, so I went to the online dictionaries and thesauruses, or thesauri, whichever the case may be, and I found my way to the word tumult. Loud and confused disorder. A sense of disorderly agitation. The milling about of a crowd with uproar and confusion of voices. You see, it's not just that we find ourselves in a confused and disorderly time. We also find ourselves in a noisy time. With loud and persistent and sometimes angry voices... Commanding our attention, diverting us from things that really matter, and dividing us often as a people. I thought of the Twitter wars that that go out between celebrities or politicians or journalists that, that just occupy so much of our attention. I thought about the 24 7 news feeds that insinuate their way into our consciousness every time we pick up our phones. I thought about the escalating threats between nations like the U.S. and North Korea, I thought about the hashtag MeToo movement as exploited women fight back against harassment. I thought about the Black Lives and the Blue Lives and the All Lives Matter chants that still are echoing around the country. The uncivil discourse that characterizes our political climate right now. Even the singing of our national anthem, which used to be a moment of tranquility and unity, now stirs up feelings of unrest and discord and discomfort. It's not just a troubled time. It's not just a noisy time. It's not just an agitated time. It is a tumultuous time. So how do we find peace in the tumult? How did Isaiah find peace when the world he knew began to unravel in the wake of King Uzziah's death? The answer begins right here with a vision. A vision of the Lord, high and exalted, seated on His throne, ruling over people and nations. It was a vision that would take Isaiah 40 years and 66 chapters to write down. A vision that would still be unfolding 700 years after he first gave it. A vision that still is unfolding to this very day, Christmas of 2017. We only have time to look at one little piece of that vision today, but it's a piece that I think is especially relevant to these tumultuous times in which we live. They're familiar words from Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Isaiah from his troubled time, is given a vision into a future time, a better time, when there will be no more threats from without or from within the nation. A time in which something good will come out of those northern lands that have already fallen to the Assyrians, out of Galilee, of all places, something good will come. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah sees a light breaking across the land, signaling the beginning of a new day, a day of shalom, of wholeness and wellness. And in the next few verses, he describes that shalom. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Shalom means first and all, an end to poverty. An end to the disparity between the rich and the poor. The inequity that so often exists in the world. And those inequities still exist in our world today and even in our nation today. I read recently that the wealth gap in the United States, the gap between rich and poor, is wider now in the United States than in nations like Russia and Iran. It seems that a smaller and smaller percentage of people control a larger and larger percentage of the money. And people on the bottom end of the scale are increasingly hurt by it and increasingly angry about it. But Isaiah looks to a day, looks to Shalom, when that will no longer be the case. There will no longer be those kinds of inequities. In fact, Isaiah uses the language of abundance here. He brings to mind two word pictures. The first is the picture of farmers returning from the field, their arms overflowing with an abundant harvest. And then the second image of soldiers returning from war. Again, their wagons loaded with plunder that they have taken. This is is an image of abundance. Isaiah is envisioning a day when there will be enough. Enough for everybody everywhere. So much of everything that there will be dancing in the streets. No more poverty. Secondly, shalom means an end to injustice. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Again, Isaiah conjures up two images from Israel's history. The first from the days of the Midianites, an oppressive people in the days of the judges. They were so harsh and so cruel, trashing villages, torching homes, slaughtering livestock, that the people were forced to flee to, to the mountain hideouts to living in caves. And so it brings to mind the plight of millions of refugees in our world today, running to overcrowded cities or refugee camps for safety. The second image is the, is the, is the image of slavery in Egypt, the yoke and the rod when the people of Israel were treated like beasts of burden, when they were beaten if they didn't work hard enough. But again, Isaiah is looking forward to a day when when those injustices will no longer be. Today, we still see them perpetrated. There's child labor and slave labor and human trafficking and racial discrimination and political oppression. It's still with us to this day. But Isaiah looks forward to see a day when, when all of that will come to an end. When the implements of injustice, the yoke and the rod, will be shattered, splintered into pieces that can no longer be a burden to anyone anymore. A day when all people everywhere are free and equal. So an end to poverty, an end to injustice, and thirdly, shalom means an end to war. Every warrior's boot used in battle. Every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Isaiah looks to a time when the weapons of war will be tossed into a great pile and set ablaze because they will no longer be needed. Imagine that. Imagine a day when the nuclear warheads are dismantled, when aircraft carriers are turned into cruise ships. Imagine a day when trucks will no longer be turned into killing machines. No more assault rifles, no more bulletproof vests. They won't be needed anymore because people will get along with their neighbors and peoples and nations will be in harmony and peace with each other. What a vision. No no more poverty, no more injustice, no more war. Wholeness and wellness for all people everywhere. It's a wonderful vision. But how in the world will that ever come to pass? I mean, if if human history tells us anything, it tells us that we will never accomplish this kind of peace on our own. We've been at it for a long, long time. American history suggests that the United States goes to war on an average of once every 20 years. Think about the last hundred years, World War I, World War II, the Korean conflict, the Vietnam War, the Gulf War, and now in this 21st century, Iraq and Afghanistan. If our nation and the world is ever going to experience peace, someone else is going to have to bring it. It's going to have to come from someplace else. But who and from where? Isaiah answers those questions in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isaiah looks forward to a day when a new kind of ruler will sit on the throne, a ruler who's born into this world like every other human being, but a ruler who comes to us from another world, from from heaven itself, given to us. And the names he's given makes clear that he's greater than any ruler the world has ever seen, mighty God, everlasting Father, Wonderful counselor, no mere human ruler could ever fit this description. But it's that last name that is most relevant to our present moment, Prince of Peace. And here's the curious thing about that. What are princes famous for? Making war. That's what princes do. Princes go off to protect the king's dominion. Princes go off to increase the king's holdings. Making war is what princes do. But this one is called a prince of peace. Instead of waging war, this prince wages peace. He extends the king's holdings, but by bringing peace, bringing shalom everywhere to everyone he goes to. It's a conquering peace that overcomes anything. It's an expanding peace that goes wider and and goes on and on forever and will actually never end. In the next 50-some chapters, Isaiah describes how this vision will be fulfilled and what it will look like when it comes. And it will come on the other side of a season of judgment. There is no doubt about that. But he talks about the lion lying down with the lamb. He talks about the trees of the field clapping their hands for joy. He talks about people buying milk and wine without money and without cost. He talks about all the nations streaming into Jerusalem. He talks about the glory of the Lord covering the nations as the water covers the sea. He talks about a new heaven and a new earth. What a vision. But here's the ironic thing. Isaiah never actually saw that vision fulfilled. Not one bit of it. In fact, over the course of his life, things just got worse and worse. And yet somehow the promise of that peace, the beauty and the goodness and the power of it was enough to sustain him, to give him peace even in his tumultuous times. In fact, he describes it. Chapter 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Isaiah would see four more kings come and go. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, and then finally Manasseh. He would see see things go from bad to worse, economically, politically, militarily, and spiritually. And yet through all of it, he and his family experienced this remarkable peace. They were able to find peace and even proclaim peace in such tumultuous times. And they did that not not by seeing the Prince of Peace seated on the throne in Jerusalem, but by allowing the Prince of Peace to rule in their own hearts. He says, thou wilt keep him in perfect, that's King James, you will keep him in perfect peace who trusts in you, whose mind is stayed on you. Isaiah allowed this coming prince of peace to rule his heart. And that gave him peace and enabled him to proclaim peace in a troubled time. His confidence was not in Ahaz or Hezekiah or anybody who ruled. His confidence was not in his nation's military might or its economic vitality or its political alliances. His confidence was in God expressing his rule through the son called prince of peace. And as long as the Prince of Peace ruled his heart, Isaiah knew peace, perfect peace, heaven's peace. And the good news for 2017 is that this peace is still available to us today. In fact, it is even more available to us today because 700 years after he spoke these words, a son was born. And a child was given, and his name was Jesus. And on the night he was born, the angel said, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, on whom does God's favor rest? On those who will receive it. That's it. God's favor rests on whoever will receive it. That's all there is to it. You don't have to earn it or prove it or achieve it. You don't have to have some secret inside knowledge. You don't have to go through some religious ceremony. You don't have to achieve some certain moral standard. God's favor, God's grace falls on any who will receive it. Anyone who will receive him in the person of his son Jesus, the Prince of Peace. When he enters a person's life, he brings peace. He begins to create wholeness and wellness from within us that then flows out to others around us. He, he, he first gives us peace with God. He forgives us of our sins and restores us to a relationship with our creator. And once we're rightly related to God, well, now we're free to, to, to be at peace with each other. Because now we can be our true and real selves with each other. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to cover up. We don't have to compete. We don't have to win. We can forgive because we've been forgiven. We can serve. We don't have to compete. And so when we find peace with God and then peace with each other, well, now we can, ex- we can deal with whatever the world throws our way. We can find peace no matter what's happening out there or in our own world. Peace in the midst of Turmoil. I was speaking recently with a longtime member here of Grace Chapel. Her name is Irene. Many of you know her. She's a part of our Lexington campus. Irene has been a part of the Grace Chapel family since the 1960s. She and her husband raised their children here. Along the way, Irene lost her husband some 40 years ago. Now, Irene is in her 90s to, the, to these days. She has seen a lot of turmoil over the decades of her life, both in the world around and even in her own life. Most recently, her oldest son, Chuck, passed away of of an illness in his 60s. And I was speaking with Irene in the lobby one Sunday, not too long ago, after she had just returned from a visit with him, knowing it was probably their last visit together. And after we talked about it for a few moments, she said to me, it's okay. It's okay. He's ready to go, and I have peace. And the way she said it, I'll never forget it. The way she said it, I knew it came from a deep place within her. And because she was so full of peace, it actually gave me peace in that very moment. And that's how this works. When we have received God's peace, we're able then to share God's peace with the world around us. Isaiah talks about that as well in verse 52. Chapter 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And as best we can tell, That's what Isaiah and his family did all the years of their lives. I'd never thought much about Isaiah's family before, but when you poke around, there are a few things we can learn. Turns out Isaiah's wife was also a prophetess. Now hear that. She, a woman, a prophetess, a preacher, in the days of the Old Testament. They had children, two sons at least, and those sons, by the timing of their birth, the names they were given became a part of Isaiah's message to his nation. And so you have a picture of this family standing together in tumultuous times experiencing peace and proclaiming peace to the world around them. And they did that all through their lives because a very ancient tradition tells us that in the latest years of his life, Isaiah was martyred, under the wicked king, Manasseh. But his message lived on, and it lives on to this very day. And we who have experienced this peace have the opportunity now to share it with others, to invite others into it. It turns out we had an opportunity to do that right here last week uh, at our Lexington campus. We were hosting the Lexington Interfaith Community Thanksgiving service in which all the houses of worship from town come together to participate. So it's a very ecumenical kind of a service, it's been going on for years. And so we had a crowd of people here and clergy from all the different traditions, uh, Protestant and Catholic and Jewish and Muslim and uh, Unitarian and, and, and even f- people from no faith tradition at all. At one point all the clergy, it must have been twenty of us, were together in, their, in the prayer chapel rabbis and priests and ministers. It was, it was a comedian's field day there in that, in that chapel. It's, we all yucked it up with each other and made fun of each other's robes or lack of robes or whatever it was. And, and a marvelous thing unfolded in this sanctuary as a few hundred people from town of all traditions gathered for a time of, of, of Thanksgiving. Pastor Richard, Pastor Dana from our church helped to kind of lead and organize the event but a parade of people representing all races and ethnicities and religious backgrounds and ages came across the platform and spoke about the things they were grateful for in our country, in our community. A Syrian refugee was father was here talking about how welcoming this community has been to his family, how grateful they are for the schools and for all they've experienced here At one point, the combined choir led by Jamie Hillman along with our orchestra sang this beautiful hymn, this anthem of praise to thee, the source of all creation. Something remarkable was happening in this room. People who've been to this service for many, many years said it was unlike any service they'd ever been to before like this. And what it was was shalom. It was goodness and beauty and wholeness. For just a few minutes here in this room, we were experiencing what God intended for all people, that we would all come together, live together, serve together, grow together under the banner of his love and provision. Now, mind you, it wasn't a Christian service. We never used Jesus' name, but the Prince of Peace was here. He was ruling in the house, and everyone knew it. It was like nothing we'd experienced before. And friends, you and I get to do that all the time. Not just to experience heaven's peace, but to offer heaven's peace. To invite others into it by opening our homes to them. By opening our church to them. I know the Wilmington campus had this experience a few years ago with a very similar kind of outcome. We do this every time we throw open the doors for for Harvest Fest or a Winter Blast or a Women's Christmas Party or a Grand Opening or a West West Street Sessions or a Men's Basketball Game or whatever it is. Whenever we open the doors, people get to experience Heaven's peace. And so as we head into this Christmas season, we're inviting you not only to allow the Prince of Peace to rule your heart, but to make space for him to rule in other people's hearts as well. In just a moment, we're going to provide you with a few peaceful moments. A simple song to reflect upon and, and a time of reflection and prayer. I'm going to release you to your campuses, and you can experience that moment each in your own campus. Before we do that, I want to share one story, an often told story of an unlikely peaceful moment. In fact, it's so unlikely, it's hard to believe it actually happened, but it's been verified many times. It's a story that comes to us from the trenches of World War I, from the battlefield in France, 1914. The fighting had been ferocious in that first year of the war. 800,000 had already lost their lives on both sides. Life in the trenches was absolutely miserable and terrifying. But as the story goes, on Christmas Eve night the Allied soldiers in their trenches began singing Christmas carols. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. And as they sang, they suddenly realized they were hearing voices from across no man's land. In the German trenches, the soldiers began singing along with them in their own language, of course, but the same words, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace and they sang together for a while, the sound mingling across no man's land, until one brave soldier stepped out of the trench and exposed himself to enemy fire. Soon others came out of their trenches, and before long, all up and down the Western Front, there were pockets of Allied and German soldiers mingling about, singing Christmas carols together, exchanging cigarettes. Sharing stories and pictures of their families, and even kicking the soccer ball around. When the high command heard what was happening, they quickly put a stop to it because they realized the men would no longer want to fight if they kept fraternizing like this. But for a few hours on Christmas Eve, peace was waged on the Western Front, and the Prince of Peace ruled. And friends, that's what happens wherever and whenever the Prince of Peace is allowed to rule. And so as we begin this season, we are learning that we discover heaven's peace when we invite the Prince of Peace to rule our hearts and our homes and our world. So I'm going to pray and in just a moment release us to our campuses for a peace moment. And as we enjoy that moment, I'm going to encourage you to listen to the words of the song that's sung. Listen for the longing of this desperate world and listen for the promise of heaven's peace. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for these words delivered so long ago and yet speaking with such clarity and hope and vividness to our present moment. We are grateful that we have a word like shalom to contemplate as we head into this season. And we pray that indeed you might meet each of us as we gather for worship each week, as we gather in our homes and with friends, and as we share your love and peace abroad in the world. Meet us now in these moments. We pray that we would know heaven's peace. In Jesus' name, amen.